Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Chocolate with a Side of Medicine. As you all know, I am Dr. Sunshine, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Dr. Chris. Hey. Amy Jo, MD. What's up? And Dr. Nono. Hey. So before we get the show started and everything, we are actually recording this on Mother's Day. So I, along probably with all of my co-hosts, want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, even the mothers-to-be. And uh, we know that across the board, Mother's Day can be a day of a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, a lot of us have mothers that are still around and maybe you got a little complex relationship with your mom. Um, a lot of us maybe have had mothers that have passed away. And a lot of us have maybe had mothers in our lives who weren't even our biological mothers. So we just want to take a moment to just shout out to all the moms and all the peeps. And hopefully everybody's having a wonderful day. I'm a smidge tired. I woke up early in the morning to call my mom because my mom has this thing where if you wait too late to call her, she thinks that you forgot about her. She does this with her birthday. She does this with her birthday and with Mother's Day. Like, for example, if I don't get around to calling her till like 3 or 4 p.m., she'll be like, oh, nice of you to call. Did you, did you, did you forget? I'm like, or... I'm on Cali time and I just woke up. Like, you know what I mean? It's so like. (laughs) The day's not over yet. You still got 24 hours. Exactly. I'm like, the day is not over yet. She's like, I've gotten text messages from random coworkers I don't even care about. But my daughter, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. You're like, I get it. I hear you. She just wants you to be the first one. Exactly. She wants me to be the first one, but I'm also still sleeping. She has coworkers messaging her at eight. That's five o'clock, Cali time. I'm not waking up at five to beat your random coworkers who send you memes. Like what? No, that's so crazy. You called your mama? Mm-hmm. Called her bright and early. I thought she. I was trying to catch her before she went to church. Um, but she was like, church is kind of crowded, and I'm not sure if everyone's vaccinated. So she, you know, did it online church. Sounds like okay. So I gave her a call. We chatted it up. I like the morning times because it's quiet, especially on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So I got to wish her a happy Mother's Day early. Hey, so that's dope. It, what's crazy is that even though I woke up early, my phone actually woke me up even earlier than that. Because I actually, random, nothing to do with Mother's Day. Have y'all been following this whole like rocket that was launched out by China that was supposed oh, yeah. to fall back into the atmosphere? Did y'all? Yo, CNN has been blowing up my phone with notifications about this damn <laughs> rocket. And I'm like, I'm like, yo, I don't even know what's even happening. Like, even... There are like so projections actually... about like the fallout from like the rocket and debris and all this stuff. And it's yeah. just like a lot. So I don't know. I actually read it. I actually read the story today because it woke me up before I could call. Actually, this is probably why. I called my mom early because CNN woke me up. <laughs> um, and I actually read the article about like how China tried to launch this rocket into like orbit, but it like didn't make it and it came back into the atmosphere and they didn't know where it was going to land. And they were like, what if it, and it's like the size of a 10 story building and it could take out whole civilizations and no one knew where it was going to just like plummet into the Earth's atmosphere. And I was like, this story is so crazy. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that large. Like, wh- what are they launching? Like, they were launching part of their satellite. I guess they already have a satellite in orbit and they were trying to launch like a new part. So they sent a rocket up with this part to go attached to another one of their satellites, but it malfunctioned or something and it didn't make it. And then they're like, oh, it's back in the atmosphere. And they just didn't Ooh. know where it was going to land. And it ended up landing near the Maldives, the islands, like, you know, like okay. southeast of India. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know where it was going to land. They're like, what if this lands in New York City? What if this lands in Tokyo? Like, Ooh. what? Oh my God. I, I wonder what we, we keep and then pick it apart and then give it back to them as a shell like they did our um, plane 
<laughs> That's a good question. I might be telling my age on that one, but if you all remember, I don't know if y'all remember that. Um, when like our plane like landed or something, like some like some technology that we did not want them to have ended up landing, and it was like this mm-hmm. big standoff, and they like wouldn't give it back, and they finally did. Like they had removed everything from. It. It's like oh, here's your plane. That's all that was in there. Um, it's like the dude that bring your wallet back, and ain't nothing in there but your driver's license. You like oh, you just found it. Yeah, I just found it sitting right here. I don't know what happened to it. The money gone. Credit <laughs> cards is gone. <laughs> you got in there as a peppermint and uh driver's license that would have been interesting if it landed in the united states stripping the car apart and putting it on blocks that's the, the other yep. <laughs> yeah and nasa's having like a huge fit about it because nasa's like you know the chinese government they are irresponsible who just launches up things that don't get launched properly and you know because on its way down i guess it kind of got caught in the it was still moving fast and it kept orbiting around the earth <laughs> for a while and they didn't know where it, it, it i felt like it was like you know those little <laughs> games in vegas where you got the ball and you spin the damn wheel and they just don't know where it's going to land that's kind of what was happening <laughs> and that and NASA was like, why is this a thing? Like, like what what did the Chinese do? Like, where is this thing? And it just landed today in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And they don't know the fallout of those parts or chemicals or any. I don't know, man. It's one of those. It's one of those kind of things. I know. So that was wild. So that woke me up like bright and early. And I was like, wow, OK, I guess I should call my mom, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm up. <laughs> Might as well, because CNN gave you all those notifications. So it's like, right. might as well use the time. Thanks, well, you CNN. Know, I, I turned off. Right. I turned off my. I just turned it back on because I turned it off for all of election season. So like the <laughs> second half of 2020, I turned off all news outlets. Period. And then I turned it off even after the election. I didn't even have it on for the election because I was like, this is too much. Like I just. I can't hear each state as they come in. And then there was like the whole inauguration thing. And I was like, all right. So I just turned my notifications for CNN back on maybe like a month ago. Mm. And I'm trying to get into the groove of like getting exposed to news again on like, you know, different. Good luck. I know. Not to have to like see it every single day or waking out and see like, what did Trump mess up today? You know, it's, it's even refreshing not having to hear his name for like the better part of a year. Just, it's just, ugh. Like every time you would tune in, it's just like, what did he do this time? What part of the Constitution did he mess up? Like what, like any Muslim or Immigrant Act did he pass this time? You know, it's just, you know, there's none of that. You know, we have stability, which I think everybody was desperately wanting. And it's great. But I'm used to having cable and just turning on the news casually, like Channel 7, Channel 10, and just seeing what's on and just kind of catching the news or or even when like when they stop whatever you're watching and they're like the president is talking you should yeah you should pay attention and i'm like oh shoot the president's talking but like i don't know that now so then like i remember i called my mom the other day and she's like oh the president's on tv talking i'm like is he i was like i just I'm, i feel so disconnected <laughs> because i got this apple tv and i don't get notifications so yeah i i hear you i i'm still I still have cable which is like I shouldn't because I pay way too much money for cable and I should stop doing it but I just can't I just have that thing in my head like I need to have tv like to watch the news or you know when you have the those breaking news is that the only way I'm gonna know what's happening because if not right I will let you ladies know that I got a lot of really good feedback from our episode last week and the segment that Chris chose, which was to talk about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and what's going on with it. So I got a lot of positive feedback. We probably didn't get that like 
personally, like through our like inbox or anything, but a lot of people like the fact that we talked about it and they've been forwarding the segment to, um, I had no, no put on the bottom of our last episode, like when we do the COVID vaccine talk. So they've been forwarding it to like other people who want to get like an update on J&J and listen to that portion of the segment of our show and all that. So thanks for your feedback. Yeah, we got a good chunk of downloads from that um, because we get the statistics to our uh, Gmail account. I think we had well over 120 downloads for that, like within the first couple of days of it coming out. So, oh, cool. yeah, so we yeah. got like well over 3,000 downloads and we've been out. Hey. Since, yes. When did we release? August? Did we come out in August? I think so. I believe so, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 3,000 downloads, like, was, and it hasn't even been a year yet, is, is really good. So, I guess we can take a little segue to say thank you, listeners, and please continue. Yeah. Thank you. Please, yeah, all thank all. you. It's all thanks to you guys. Right. Every time and we th- hit a thousand, I'm like, oh man, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> right, I'd be so hyped. Like, oh my God, look at that. This is I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, this is nice. Like, people actually want to hear me rant and rave about something. Like, know, we talk right? about something, right? Like, I'm just talking. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I know the fact that we're literally sitting here rambling our rambling our uh our mouths and thoughts, and, just and we thoughts. would be doing this. This could happen in any apartment where the four of us got together. Okay, like <laughs> we've been at this for a long time. That I'm like, people really want to hear us sit around and talk. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I know, especially so. Chris. Chris, you of all people, I don't know why why you're surprised. We've called you an expert at least two times already. <laughs> That's true. No lies like told. An expert. But it's it's great because it's kind of like we get to do something like we just like to just talk to each other. So it's just it's just cool. It's medicine without the notes. Yeah, it is. Exactly. It's medicine yeah. without the notes. And, you know, and plus you guys get to hear multiple perspectives. And sometimes we don't always agree or we agree, but like kind of sort of know. I get what you're saying, but like, nah. But no. <laughs> but then when I saw it this way, and you're like, oh, okay. Like, oh, huh. Okay. okay. I didn't think about it that me. way, but okay. And that's so, like, I tell my patients, like, No, I think that's the, the beauty of it. Like, you can still have four people that, you know, even though our opinions do differ from time to time, it, you know, we're able to be mature enough to see, yeah, that's a different way to think about it. I didn't think of it like that. You know, let's, you know, let's think about it. You know, somewhere it's something else. So I think that should kind of be the background for every person out there. You know, just keep your mind open. You know, people may have different opinions on, you know, an idea that you have and just, you know, be open with it and be receptive to it. What a nice little, what a nice little nugget. I think that Amy Jo has our trending topic for today or whatever it may be, unless it was the rocket or the fact that it's Mother's Day, which means I took your trending topic. No, I still have more. So, so, okay. So my first one, my, let me see. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do. Uh, let me do the heavy one first and then we'll kind of bounce it to, yeah. So this isn't necessarily a trending topic, but, um, something that has really been keeping me up is that I have a, a large chunk of 40 something year old African-American patients who are going blind due to hypertension and diabetes. And, it is, of all the things, it, it kind of catches me off guard because uh, it's probably one of the most heartbreaking things I feel like, you know, it's weird. Emotions are different for doctors, especially when you're treating patients. Like, so the things that really get you are always a surprise sometimes to ourselves. And for some reason, 
when my patients go blind, I am like really sad. Um, and so I've had also you know, you're also human, so that's okay. It's right, sad. right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, come on now. We've seen like people, you know, we've seen people get their feet cut off you know, mm-hmm. fingers, you know, different things. And, you know, when people get their feet cut off, not that I'm not sad about it, but it's very like, I understand what happened and all this kind of stuff. And I can really stay like with the checklist in my mind, like we got to do this, this and this, we got to get this education done. We got to do all this kind of stuff. We got to make sure they're okay. We got to do all this kind of stuff. But for some reason, watching people go blind is uh, very heartbreaking. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. understand it, right? And so uh, where we come from, I, I get the health disparities. Like they, they are very clear to me, uninsured, underinsured, disenfranchised. You know, our patients are from every hood in the city of Chicago, plus some other countries, all these places where they just could not get access to care for extended periods of time. And most of the time when they showed up on our doorsteps in residency, they, they, this was, this was it, right. They had fallen through all the cracks and crevices and then they dropped in our laps and we were like, I got you. Let's, let's do it. Let's make you, let's make a comeback. And for a lot of those people, we did good medicine. So those make sense to me. But what doesn't completely make sense to me is that I am seeing another aspect of it where Mm -hmm. these are people with private insurance, married, you know, working, you know, working class, um, moderately educated, um, that just seem to not have a good control over all the things and still suffering, you know, greatly. And you're left scrambling. And then they also believe in, you know, some of the the misunderstandings of the side effects that they think, you know, well, I think this medicine does, it, does this and this medicine does that. And you're like, no. So it's a little bit disappointing because you're, you know, one, they're African-American, two, they're young, three, um, you can't get your vision back, right? You can get an A1C down, you can get sexual function back, right? If you clean up your your diabetes, hypertension enough, like, you know, you can sometimes, you know, get impotence back. You can, you can improve coronary artery disease, you can improve hypertension, but you cannot get vision back. And so mm-hmm. it just feels so permanent. So it breaks me up. So mm-hmm. I went to the CDC site and was looking up, um, let me go back and find it. I was trying to find just some fact sheets on like vision loss. And I found that um, for African-Americans, glaucoma, after cataracts in African-Americans, glaucoma is the leading cause of blindness in African-Americans. So I just, mm. you know, was just like, okay, yeah. And when I go back through some of these charts a lot, there's glaucoma, like you find it these old notes. We've all been there, right? Where you're surfing through notes and you're like, why is this Timolaw on here? Like, what is, what is this back here from 2018? And then you're like, oh my God, like this person had, you know, glaucoma before me. So this isn't necessarily the news per se, but some quick facts for people who are listening. Glaucoma is the leading cause of blindness behind cataracts. And half of the people, half African-Americans do not know they have it, right? So your risk, uh, if you're African-American, that it's going to progress earlier and faster is higher than white Americans. If you've got a family history, your risk is 20% higher than either even other African-Americans. So I just need people to know if you're over 40, if you are really, really, really nearsighted, 
if you have diabetes, hypertension, or if you've been on prolonged steroid use, right? And so I think about all the asthmatics and all of the, you know, morbidly obese patients that come in with reactive airway back to ED, ED after ED after ED, and they keep on getting those, you know, short courses of steroids over and over again. So you talk to them and they get steroids every other month. So if you are all in that group, you're at increased risk of having glaucoma. And glaucoma will lead to blindness. So I need people to get their eyes checked. So when I found that um, really quick uh, fact, I was like, I know this isn't the news, but I need y'all to get your stuff checked because I'm very sad to kind of watch someone who I know what the end end game is. They're just going to go down and there's nothing I can do for it. Um, So yeah, there's my my first news, the heavy one. I feel like we don't necessarily talk about it. It's kind of like when you go for diabetes, we check everything else. Oh, make sure your kidneys are okay. And this is okay. And we just tell you, yeah, you go get your eyes checked. But, you know, um, when we go, a lot of times when we see diabetics, like I know for all the PCPs, like you usually have like care gaps or like checks that you have to make sure for certain diseases like yeah. when diabetes they also make sure like you have an eye exam right but sometimes like if your systems don't correlate right. a lot of times you have to get the eye exam from the doctor from the other doctor's office and there's a lag time in getting it so a lot of times you don't really know what's going on so you kind yeah. of be like hey make sure you get your eyes checked and and the patient's like yeah yeah sure i'm gonna do that but sometimes they don't do that they and it's kind of like it. and the hard part about these kind of things is that so it could be prevented, right? And that's what's so heartbreaking is like when it happens and they have some damage because of their diabetes or damage because their blood pressures weren't controlled. It's kind of like, man, like we could have maybe caught it and did something and prevent that from happening. Because I feel like when you lose your eyesight, it's like I have patients that have like macular degeneration. So like that's kind of like there's really not much you can do about that. It's a, yeah. just a progressive disease and you're going to end up becoming blind. And they're so depressed and sad about it. Yeah. And it affects everything else in their health. Like you try to help them out with other things and they're like, they essentially like feel like defeated and given up because they can't see, they can't do what they used to do anymore. Yeah. And all these weird things start happening. You know, it- I, it took me just in the past like year or so because I've got this cluster of patients that have it. And, and that's that, you know, I say that lightly because we had a ton of people who had lost their vision from what we trained. But it's kind of weird because just how residency is structured, you know, everybody needs training. And so there's all these specialties that are more than happy to take over that part. And so they answer the questions, especially when it comes to their eyesight, like, you know, in in the county system, like once they go to the eye clinic, that's amazing. They're like, we got it. Right. And so they start answering all the questions and stuff like that. But when you're in like community medicine, some of those questions bounce back to you or they're like listening to their eye doctor, but they're like, okay, I'm gonna ask my primary care doctor. Like I get a whole lot of that. Like Mm -hmm. they come back with these lists and I'm like, ma'am, I did not see you to a specialist for you to come back asking me these questions. Right. Good question. Like, what did he say? They'd be like, well, I wouldn't ask you. Like, that's the wrong move, right? Oh, right. That's the wrong move. <laughs> so, you know, they come back with these questions or they come back with like side effects to what is the original thing. And they didn't know to really even ask that. 
but like their sleep patterns are always off because they have like, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like this circadian uh, deficit. Yes. Yeah. So they lose the circadian rhythms. And so they're not sleeping the same. And, and, and these are people that have whole families. Right. And so people underestimate the benefit of going to bed at the same time with everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. So everybody's in bed. Like, so if I am, I'm blind, but my, my, my rhythm is off and my husband goes to bed, but I'm not sleepy. Well, when do we have sex? Especially if we got kids, right? So, or when do we have quiet time? Stuff like that. So a lot of parents are just like, man, as soon as these kids go down, it could be me and you. But if you're now going down and I'm like, well, it feels like two o'clock in the afternoon for me. And that's what it always feels like. It's so complicated. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more I learn, the more I'm just like, ah, so people, please get your eyes checked. And Dr. Chris, something else you mentioned about the care gaps. So like for us in our clinic, our we can do a diabetic eye exam. But what people have to know, and I make sure I tell them, this does not replace your eye exam because what we're looking at is retinopathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the so I could technically complete my care gap, and you still need to go get your eyes checked because the only thing that I'm looking at is the back of your retina to make sure there's no retinopathy. But you know whether or not you need glasses, your glaucoma, all this kind of stuff. I still put a referral in or I still encourage you to go get your, you know, your eyes checked out. And that's always, that's the, it's the hardest thing to get back, right? Mammograms you get back, you know, you see that report, like, you know, if they go someplace else for their pap smear, although I do most of my pap smears myself, but pap smear reports come back. It's that damn eye exam. Like it might come back. It might not. You might not ever find it. It's the worst. It is. It is. It is. Yeah, and then sometimes when you get it back, they're the way that they write their plans is you don't in a whole understand. different language. You yeah. don't understand what like, they're it's, saying. It's like, oh man, UD, OD, blah 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 blah. I'm like, Be I'm like, really coming to the assessment and plan for you. Just give me your plan. Yeah, like, just what is me. the diagnosis? What is and it? Like, I'm reading through it, and I'm like, I'm like, boom, glaucoma. Okay, okay. what are we doing for? Right. It? Okay, right. there it is. Yes. Great. Right. When do you want to see them again? Six months. Found it. Cool. Good. Like, but yeah. they never write it Mm-mm. succinct like that. It's yeah. all mixed in with all this mumble jumble. And I'm yeah. like, okay. okay. It's, it's, like, it's like we know we, we're doctors as well, but we don't understand your jargon. I don't speak so your just, language. Just, just, just tell me, is there retinopathy or no? Are we yeah. doing treatment yeah. or no? Or no. Can they see? Not. So, so no. I can tell them because let me tell you what your patients are out here in these streets doing, not following your directions, right? So right. I'd be like, so what did the eye doctor say? They'd be right. like, oh, they gave me some drops. How am I supposed to use them? I think till I go back. Well, when's your next appointment? supposed to call me back and i'd be like yo this is not a thing right like (laughs) so if you put it in the note for all of you ophthalmologists out there you know can you make it plain for us because i guarantee you four out of five of the people that you gave those instructions to i see them the next week and they do not remember what you told them to do so yeah that was my that was my uh kind of news but and now here's the you know this has nothing to do with medicine, but when oh, gosh. somebody in particular hears it, they will be very vested in this. And I think we all will be. So Square, the company Square, just bought the majority stake in Title for $297 million. Really? Yes. Huh. Right? Wait, so... See, I I'm told y'all somebody wonder, was, let me not, I oh, knew oh, somebody would guess, be all in. Let's guess who's going to be all in. I knew who would be all in. Like, I knew who would be all in because I, you know, am a title subscriber because of one particular Dr. Sunshine <laughs> out here, okay? So, I was, when I saw it, I was like, oh, I'm saying this. Like, oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> so, wait. for those of y'all who don't know, <laughs> Jay-Z bought 
title in 2015 for 65 million, right? And and the plan for it was for it to be the first, you know, platform, you know, um, streaming platform owned by artists. And uh, I mean, it's it's limped along. It's done okay, but you know, it didn't turn into the Spotify, the Apple Music, you know, that that it, or it's not turned into it yet. And so um, he has sold the majority stake of the company to Square for two ninety seven. Yes, yeah, Start the Sunshine. Well, first of all, that's good numbers for him. Bought it for sixty five mil, sold it for two ninety seven. You said yes, indeed. Oh. So he oh. he's always he's just treating music the way he treated cocaine back in the day. Just flipping. listen, flipping it, <laughs> just flipping it, flipping it, flipping it, flipping, flipping. it. <laughs> I am not mad. Listen, you could take the man out but, the hood, but you can't take the hustle out the man. Okay, keep the hustle. Okay, so this okay so. This, <laughs> I love it. So, so this has pros and cons. Absolutely. Okay. Because the main reason why a lot of us were drawn to titles. So, of course, a lot of Beyonce fans know that a lot of in the beginning when he was first really launching title hardcore, he was like, all right, listen, my wife is Beyonce. I know there's Beyonce fans. You guys are going to get like exclusive Beyonce content. Whenever she comes out with something, it drops here. Boom, boom, boom. There's even a couple of videos. I think her video with Nikki that she put out a few years ago was only on title. So it's a lot of exclusive stuff. And then I'll be honest with you, because I do have other streaming services as well. Tidal is one of the streaming services that does a really, really good job with having a very expanded black like yeah. music profile. Mm-hmm. Everything. Like when you think about R&B throwbacks, songs from the 60s, 70s, 80s, they're like... Their catalog is huge, mm-hmm. specifically for, you know, Black music in particular, especially around the holiday time. What? Apple Music. Where is it? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Spotify. Can I get it all in one place? But it's interesting because now that he's sold it, I don't know if it's going to come with the same emphasis on certain things. Like, for example, as soon as Black History Month came up, is a Black History Month playlist on title. Yep. You know what I mean? As soon, It's like, mm-hmm. it's very like, you know, as soon as like it's, you know, whatever it may be, whatever whatever marginalized group is celebrating something, they feature it on title. They'd be like, oh, hey, Hispanic Heritage Month, here's a playlist for y'all, boom, boom, boom. And it's very in tune with the marginalized groups. So now that he's sold it, I am curious what's going to start trending on that homepage. Like every time something happens, I'm like, are we still going to get a Black History Month playlist? Like, who's in charge of this now? Like, is the team the same? And Jay-Z's just not like, what's, what's, what's happening? Well, is, he what's on, like, is he like on the board of directors for the company? Because if so, then you would still have a say on like what content would be released on the platform. So they didn't go into all that. It was a really quick, it, it was quick. It was on, I was, you know, on Forbes, but this neither here nor there. Um, they didn't go into all the details. They said that the artists still own a minority stake to what degree, but you know, mm-hmm. um, you know what happens a lot of times is you know people sell sell their companies and then they like stay on for like um creative directing or something like that where they still have like have some say on like here's what I think should happen but um you just kind of need more resources to you know push your push to the next level mm. but I'm also with you Dr. Sunshine I'm like so I got questions though um I love you all entitled I, I signed up for title because you know it, it belonged to Jay-Z um, it was empowering artists and I needed to have access to all these concerts that I needed to get into because the way my life is set up, I need to go see Beyonce from time to time. Um, <laughs> so did I lose that? Because I don't listen, know. I have a question though. Yeah. Um, 
isn't it so he owns most of the the company but don't the other artists also own they have some kind of state like yeah so so, they make money as well i'm sure not as much as he did yeah i don't i don't i don't know don't don't make me lie here's the only thing i know is that whatever the 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 cent on the dollar that um artists normally get from standard streaming services was higher at title than it was at like Spotify and Apple. Mm. So that was the whole beef. Like we do all this streaming, 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 and these companies are making big money, but it's the artist's work. So the whole point of the title was to give that money back to the artist for all the streaming and everything that, that it has. Um, so I wonder if that's going to stay the same. I hope it would. I hope so. You know, artists like like Drake have actually really wanted to only work with title period because of the reimbursements and things, but they couldn't because of label, you know, label mm-hmm. contracts and stuff like that. So I'm I'm curious how this is going to change the platform of, of streaming and if it's going to entice artists to go one way or another, or is the whole platform itself going to change? Watch me open my title tomorrow and it's going to be like bright yellow. Instead of like, you know, it kind of it has like a black background. Yeah. It's kind of, it's real, it's real sleek. It's real, it's, it's real black. Everything about it is real black. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what's, what's, what well, this is about to give. Don't make me eyeball <laughs> my title. Like I'm looking at it right now. Like it better stay black tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I, I listen to title every day, like on my way to work. Like I will listen to it or I just like picking, I like that, you know, you pick a song and like the the options from that song that you pick I always feel like they're right on the money like yes this is what i was trying to listen to and i would be going there and i like dark sunshine have <laughs> other streaming services as well and it's not quite the same right mm-hmm. they're gonna stream it but they're also gonna throw some stuff in it and i'm like this doesn't match um, exactly exactly who was i who was i riding with was it no no somebody was with me and literally i just picked a megan the stallion song and then led me to sweetie and then city girls and back to meg and i'm like oh this is a good no, this is the no. day look at them knowing me i, I like this <laughs> yeah well, when i visited dr sunshine like that's all we played like the entire weekend <laughs> i was there it was, it was megan the stallion cardi b city girls <laughs> Oh, and I like it because you can like do them by like writers or some like who like songwriter, and you can pull up people. And so like I've learned so much from title. I'm like, <laughs> what you wrote this? Oh, and then like exactly. that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. I hear. I now I hear your signature in this song because when you listen to them across the board, you're like, okay, I see your style. A lot of a lot of artists will really get you like that. For example, like they have like an essentials of like Pharrell playlist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there'll be some songs on there. I'm like, why is this song on here? I'm like, oh shoot, because he wrote it. Yep. <laughs> okay. Or like, oh, he's the producer. Didn't know that. Yep. <laughs> so, so basically what you're telling me is that title entertains you and also educates you on your Absolutely. It does. But wow. I don't know if it's still gonna do that now that wow. it's been so I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it does that. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic, Doctor? No, Chris? not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm really learning something. I'm really learning something. I didn't know because I, no, I don't have it. I don't. I don't. I don't have a streaming platform for music. So okay. So let me set this up. So basically, I'm going to be talking about um, some chronic pelvic pain, but more so, I'm going to talk more about gynecological reasons. Sorry tongue twister of of chronic pelvic pain so unfortunately i'm gonna leave the males out of this i'm sorry mm, they'll be fine that's what i was They'll thinking be okay. that's what i think i was thinking they were gonna be okay with that but anyway 
reason why I decided to pick this topic is because um, I kind of pick my topics based on like the chief complaints of like what people come in for. And a lot of times I see, oh, I have some pelvic pain or um, so it's kind of like dealing with that and trying to figure out what's going on. Right. Hmm. So so let me start. So chronic pelvic pain is usually pain that's below the um, umbilicus that's considered more for that's been going on longer than three to six months. Oftentimes it could be related to with women with their menstrual periods. And pretty much if you think about it is it really has to do with the fact that if you look at what's kind of anatomy, what's in the pelvis, a lot of it is your uterus, your vagina, all of those things. And if you have pain, it kind of affects all of those things, right? So it can be due to, um, like I was saying, like your periods, a lot of times um, women can have like heavy, heavy bleeding um, and painful periods. Like, so they oftentimes can talk about um, having like a thrombing kind of sharp abdominal pain, like lower abdominal pain, right? And also is associated, could be associated with urinary symptoms. They can also sometimes have like um, urinary frequency, and they can also have pain like constipation also. So it's like a, a very varied amount of symptoms that can happen with this chronic pelvic pain. And I wanted to bring it up because it's something a lot of times is kind of hard to diagnose for us because it kind of depends on how the patient tells us like what the presenting symptoms are. And some of the symptoms can be very vague because they can say they have the pain sometimes, not all the time. Pain can be like every day. Sometimes it's worse with the period. Sometimes it's not necessarily related to their periods. They could also have chronic fatigue. They could have back pain associated with it. So it's like a mixture of lots of symptoms. And it could be hard for the physician to kind of figure out where to go and where to start, you know? Um, So before I go into it some more, I was just wanted to hear your thoughts. I'll start by letting the audience know that when Chris says umbilicus, she basically just means your belly button. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because I don't know why she said (laughs) the formal science name of, if it's below your belly button, (laughs) then we classify that as your pelvis. That's all. I just wanted to throw that in Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, with pelvic pain, like expressions like chronic like more of a chronic type process, you kind of just kind of go down the list of like what organs are located in that area. And any questions that we kind of ask you on the original like history and physical are going to try and see if we can localize to where you're having or where that pain could potentially be coming from. Um, So like with, like with women, you got your uterus, you got, you know, part of your, your rectum, and then you also have your bladder. Um, you also have some musculoskeletal uh, and some nerves in that area too. So any questions that we ask relating to the type of pain you're feeling, like the time, the quality, the duration, you know, what makes it better, what makes it worse? Uh, does it matter when you go pee or when you go poop? As it related to your menstrual cycles, uh, all those questions relating to pelvic pain are going to come up in your history and also when we do our physical exam. Um, I also wanted to point out too, so like, um, so yeah, you can have all this pain and also a lot of times with women, women can complain with, uh, with this chronic pelvic pain that they can have pain with sex as well. So that also 
points us to think of certain certain um, pathology, certain things that could be causing your pain. So basically what I'm going to focus on, or like I was saying before, more of the gynecological reasons for the pelvic pain. And I'm basically going to stress on, talk about endometriosis, um, uterine fibroids, and I'll also touch a little bit of ovarian cysts. Um, I really wanted to really talk more about endometriosis, mainly because I feel as though it's one of those one of those chronic pain conditions that is really hard to diagnose. Um, and oftentimes a lot of women have the pain and it takes a long time before we diagnose it and they suffer, you know? And I kind of think, and then I was also thinking for myself too, um, when I'm thinking about when someone comes in there and they're telling me that they have their painful periods, um, there's certain buzzwords that I'm thinking for, for endometriosis. And if you don't have those symptoms, I'm not necessarily thinking it, right? So a lot of times with endometriosis, you have painful periods, you have pain with sex and pain with defecation, right? In my mind, I'm thinking you're going to hit all three, but that's not necessarily true, right? So you can have pain with pain with sex, right? Or just not have pain or with defecation or your periods could not be that heavy. You know, there are so many different symptoms, right? And it really also, it really all depends because it depends on the pathology, how, what endometriosis, endometriosis is. So really what it is. So let's break it down. So in, your uterus has this lining called your endometrium, right? And you have these endometrial glands, right? And what happens with endometriosis, these these implants, uh, you have implants from the endometrium that can implant different places. So it could be that what's going on, it's not even in your uterus, it could implant closer to the rectum, right? So then you'll have more constipation and it can implant in your uh, uterine sacrum. So you'll have like more of the lower abdominal pain. So it implants different places. So depending on where it is and how many different implants you have can determine what your symptoms are. So really, like I was saying in my mind, if you're not checking all of those three, I'm not necessarily thinking that I'm thinking other things first. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the thing is, it's really to die, to be able to diagnose this, you have to do surgery in order to diagnose it. So you need a biopsy to diagnose, to actually see these little chocolate cysts that are, that are there. Right. And it really all depends mm -hmm. on how many and where they are located. And the problem with endometriosis, it causes significant pain, painful periods, and it can also cause infertility depending on where these implants are, right? And the thing is, it's helpful if we can diagnose it early as opposed to later, right? But like I said, it's mm -hmm. a hard thing to diagnose. And I just wanted to put it out there so that even you see your doctor and you can kind of talk to them and be like, hey, maybe I might have this. And then it gets them thinking about going that route. What do you guys think? I agree. And I, I agree with everything you said thus far, especially because when patients come in and they do have pelvic pain, immediately I'm thinking of all the possible things that it can be. And endometriosis is on that list, but it's usually not the first thing that I go to. And I usually have to do nine times out of 10, I usually have to do one round of a workup. And then usually on my second go around, then that's usually when I start considering things like endometriosis. 
Um, especially if they have something else going on too that's kind of like clouding the picture. Because every now and then a woman will be like, oh yeah, and by the way, I got some vaginal discharge. And I'm like, oh, all right. So maybe this is not endometriosis. Maybe this is chlamydia and maybe you have PID. Like, you know, because then we have to start thinking about all these other things. And frequently women have multiple things going on. You know, like you might also have a UTI. You might also have vaginal discharge. And then it's kind of like, all right, let's kind of rule out these things and you kind of have to make your way through it. And then by the time I see you again, I'm like, all right, cool. So listen, we swabbed your vagina. There's nothing there or there's yeast. We treated it. Hey, we took some urine. You had a UTI. Boom. It's cool. We treated it. You're still having pain. Let's talk about it. And then we have to keep like escalating it because then my mind goes to, are we thinking about fibroids? Are we thinking about endometriosis? Are we thinking about structural problems here because my head my head is always all right is this infectious is this hormonal or is this structural so it's you know and sometimes it's a mix of all three depending on whatever the patient has so that's usually how my brain works but you're right endometriosis isn't usually like my first go-to like boom you got endometriosis like not not usually right i just and i think all of this becomes important because um, it helps. I think it helps women appreciate that the the steps to getting a diagnosis is not straightforward. Like it's not like, oh, you come in and you tell me this is what's wrong, and I say, oh yeah, it's, you know, this is what it is. You go. Sometimes it takes a couple of visits to get down to endometriosis, like you know, ultrasounds and you know, different labs and you know, kind of you know, doing some monitoring your cycle and everything. And why it's important is that you know, I think one of the things that uh, I think about often is especially as it relates to women and women of color, is that I don't think that as, you know, in primary care, we do a good job at asking questions that involve um, retaining the fertility of of women of color, right? Mm -hmm. We are very invested in routine health screenings, STD checks, you know, pap smears, sure. You know, all of that, you know, goes on. And if they bring up questions about sexual function, you know, we'll still talk about that. But we're, we we are not good at asking people the question of, hey, um, do you want to have kids? Um, mm-hmm. You know, are you with someone that you could have kids with now? No. But have you considered that you might want to have kids? And if that's the case, you do X, Y, Z. So often when you hear, you know, women, especially women of color that talk about endometriosis, it's like after it's gone on for a long time and they kind of get these double diagnoses, right? You have endometriosis and also you are not going to be able to, you know, carry your own babies or, you know, we got to take this ovary because endometriosis is taking over one side. And so it just seems to be a double whammy. So I think this helps because it just gives them a broad understanding of like, we we these are these are some steps in process. They'll so tell us sooner rather than later. Did you want to say something, Doctor No No? Nah, Amy Jo took it, so it's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, Doctor No No. It's okay. It's okay. My it man. But then um, there are some so there are some risk factors for endometriosis. So basically, if you haven't had any babies prolonged um, exposure to estrogen, late menopause, you have shorter cycles or heavy periods. So basically with the endometriosis, it these implants, though, they get active with estrogen. So they like estrogen. So the more estrogen that is producing, right, that's when you can have the symptoms, right? But it kind of really all depends on where the implants are, how many implants you have, because some people could have it, but they have no symptoms, 
right? And you can go to the doctor and you're having the pain. We can do an exam and your exam can be absolutely normal and we find nothing, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes we can feel maybe um, some masses or something that makes us think it could be something, right? So then we'll do some imaging ultrasound to see if we can see anything, right? But most of the time on ultrasound, you're not really going to see anything. You might see a cyst, but you're not sure if it's necessarily endometriosis. It could just be an ovarian cyst that's causing some problems or some bleeding that your cyst ruptured and you have some bleeding. So you might have that. Or you Mm -hmm. do the ultrasound and it could be that you have a fibroid there, right? But that might not necessarily be what's causing your pain. So it's a very complex thing, right? Um, And also another interesting thing, I didn't even realize that they were saying that... um, Exposure to severe physical and sexual abuse in childhood could also increase your risk of endometriosis, which I thought was very interesting because when I hmm. think back, I do have a patient that was diagnosed with endometriosis and she did have some sexual abuse. So I was like, hmm, I don't know if that... How? Yeah, how I think it's the trauma. I believe they didn't really go into it on how it actually happens, but I think it's probably from the trauma early on that could have caused trauma to the endometrium that could cause that. Hmm. I, I know, I know that women with endometriosis can't like that, like have endometriosis that sometimes get like C-sections. Mm-hmm. I know that depending on how they close that uterus, that you can yeah. sometimes end up seeding the abdominal cavity because some of that tissue mm-hmm. that was nice and, you know, you know, composed, you know, retained on the inside will sometimes get into the abdominal cavity. So I know you can seed endometriosis, but I wonder, you know, is it the trauma of like, I think so. I think it's, you know, the trauma when you are younger, like if you were probably sexually abusing younger than at a younger age, that it could happen. Then you start putting some of that tissue just on the outside. Mm -hmm. That's horrible. Isn't it? Because even in um, even in my research with other things for some other reason or something else, I was going through a rabbit hole of looking through things. And then they were saying that um, some common procedure that we do, like um, it's just, um, endometrial biopsy. Sometimes we do that to diagnose like for cervical, uh, for cancer, uh, use yeah. to diagnose for cervical cancer. They say that you shouldn't do that in adolescence because when you do it in adolescence, it can cause them to have adhesions early on Mm. and cause problems. And then I was thinking about it. I'm like, hmm, when you're younger, adolescent, you know, when you first start getting your periods, I mean, sometimes, you know, your periods could be off. Like you could have heavy bleeding in the beginning, a lot of estrogen, not a lot, none of estrogen, you know, so. I wonder who's doing endometrial biopsies in adolescence, though. I don't know why they would. I don't know why they would. But I mean, um, unless yeah. you had like a genetic, <laughs> like a genetic basis, like you know, a very, yeah. very strong family history of like, you know, early cancers. Okay, so I talked about the risk factors of endometriosis, right? And I said that um, not having, not being pregnant, um, is a risk factor for it, and it's because, like, what I was, like I said before, with endometriosis, it kind of loves estrogen, and pregnancy gives you the balance of progesterone so you don't have as much exposure to estrogen. So um, having, being pregnant, having more kids, like lactating, all of those are more protective factors to prevent uh, endometriosis. But it doesn't necessarily mean that 
happen, but I'm just saying it's more protective factors. So basically, um, now, how do we treat endometriosis, right? So basically what we try to do, most times people present with lots of pain and abnormal bleeding, right? So what we try to do, we try to control your pain a bit. So a lot of times what we would do, we give you um, your NSAIDs, which are your anti-inflammatories. So what they do is they work on um, decreasing, putting out those prostaglandins to help with the pain, right? Um, the other part about it is, like I said, it kind of loves estrogen, right? So if it loves estrogen, what we're going to try to do is try to suppress making estrogen. So a lot of times what they try, um, a treatment that they do try to do is use birth control, um, more progesterone. A lot of times what they do is use this medication. It's a GNRH agonist, which is called, uh, one, one type is Lupron. So basically what that is, is try to suppress your estrogen, uh, uh, production. It kind of, in a sense, gives you side effects of putting you kind of like in early menopause. So you get it like, right. yes, uh... it doesn't feel good. So <laughs> you get hot flashes, like a lot of your menopausal symptoms to try to reduce the activity of your, of your endometriosis. But the thing is, we don't have really great treatments for it. It's just us trying to, I guess, mitigate the Hold pain. it off. We, yeah. we sincerely are doing it, you know, we we really do these treatments in fertile women, right? So mm-hmm. we're trying to, we're, our main goal when you've got endometriosis, which is progressive, it doesn't have a good cure is to figure out how to give you full access to your uterus for as long as we can. So that's why they even go through, you know, putting you on birth control, you know, Lupron injections, all this kind of stuff. And the whole idea is to stop, you know, stop you from, you know, going through the cycles where you got high, you know, high amounts of estrogen and doing those fluctuations. Um, I have watched, I have watched people do the Lupron. It's horrible. Like you go into menopause, like, so mm-hmm. watching young people with hot flash and stuff like that. Some people get bone pain because, you know, it, it'll, it'll like give you the, the osteoporosis symptoms and stuff like that. Now for young women, most of this will go away because when it's done, your ovaries will kick in. There's one thing I want to kind of clear up here because this brings a good point. Your uterus and your ovaries are not the same organ. Mm-hmm. Ladies. And it's important because we have confused you all as a medical community, I think. And then we talk about it in ways that makes it seem like they're all the same thing. Your ovaries are what's responsible for your hormone production. So those are those two little things on the side of your uterus. Have you ever seen a little picture, you know, your little uterus, and then kind of got the little, you know, hands with, you know, those little arms, little fingers at the bottom. And then next to those are these balls. Those are your ovaries. The little V-shaped thing is your uterus. So endometriosis is happening in your uterus. But what we are doing is manipulating the hormones that your ovaries print out because we're trying to get the hormones to like behave in a way that makes you less estrogenic. Because I think people get confused like, oh my God, you know, well, if they take my uterus out, am I going to go into menopause? Because we've been talking about Lupron and stuff like that. You won't. When you stop your treatments for endometriosis, if you're not in menopause at that time, and most women are still young, then your ovaries will kick back in and you won't go into menopause. Well, you shouldn't anyway. And 
And so, like I was saying before, like how to diagnose it, we usually go, they usually go and do surgery. So they do like a laparoscopic surgery. So meaning that they make a little incision, put a little camera in there, look to see if they see any of these little chocolate looking cysts. Um, and they kind of look like they chocolate and they kind of like, uh, they're, they are easily like, they can break really easily. So they kind of like try to remove that and, and that helps a little bit with the treat, like with the treatment, right? They try to do that. And also when they do that, it also, there's different stages and they could see how severe it is. And like we said too, depending on where the, where it implants, it can infect fertility as well. Right. So that's, and by the time we get to doing that, you probably had several months of pain before we got there, you know, if not years, so, you know, I'm always surprised when we walk yeah. in um, with pain. So here's a question, Dr. Chris. Um, what about mm-hmm. obesity? Cause obesity makes you estrogenic too. So does obesity come with the risk of endometriosis? Yeah. I, and I thought that was, that was a uh, pretty interesting that you said that. Um, I didn't necessarily see that they said that mm. per se, but that would make sense, right? Because it can cause more, um, more estrogen, but I did see with, when we're talking about fibroids that they do say they haven't had the studies. Some of the studies suggest that increased exercise could prevent fibroids. And I think that has something to do mm. with estrogen production as well. Interesting. Which I thought that was yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Amy Joe, you mean like if someone already has endometriosis and then they are obese or become more obese, would that make right. their symptoms worse? Because you got them on birth control, but mm. you know, if they, let's say, you know, they, over time, they go from a BMI of thirty yeah. to forty-five. Like, are they are they in trouble? Because yeah. I mean, I you know, listen in this in this yeah, yeah. pandemic, and, and, and they think it makes sense. Yeah. That's a good question because basically, what's happening is that you have um, the cells that you have in your endometrial lining. You have that in other places. In addition to being in your uterus, you have that outside of your uterus, and they yeah. you have hormonal tissue where it's not supposed to be. So in theory, if you have more circulating hormones in your body, it should be affecting all of these tissues more, which mm-hmm. means that all of your symptoms should be amplified. Yeah. The pelvic pain, uterine pain, you know, the rectal pain. So it's, it's I had a lady yeah, who, yeah. Um, and I, I have a, a good friend. And then I had a lady uh, come in who I suspect the the friend has it. The, per, the lady who I suspect has endometriosis. It came up because um, her belly button bleeds whenever she has a period. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that. That's kind of a rare type that that it can happen, but because it can implant lots yeah. of places, that can happen. Every cycle, it bleeds. Mm-hmm. And then every cycle, it stops bleeding. And I was like, and you get an ultrasound into gynecology, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I would be immensely freaked out if i just woke up and saw blood coming out of my belly yeah button, like, oh, and it had been happening God. for a while so she does have painful periods it's been like this for like a year um and i and i was meeting her for the first time and i was like oh no this is my concern this is what i think and so we've got to get you you know over to the specialist to make sure that we can take care of but yeah like clockwork her belly button bleeds 
um, she was not on her cycle at the time I saw her on the low. Um, I'll be honest. I almost wanted her to come back when she was on her cycle because I wanted to see it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think her appointments are going to line up like that. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. But I also wanted to mention with the, um, remember what I said with the exercise too, it's, it does says a, a protective factor for endometriosis is doing exercise at least more than four four hours in a week right mm-hmm. so i think it's due to kind of what we're saying right mm-hmm. less fat cells less estrogen extra estrogen production better for you but um along the lines of yeah. what dr donald said i did have a question about the diagnosis so mm-hmm. i'm assuming that the laparoscopic procedure is the end game for diagnosis like that there's other ways to get a diagnosis yeah, before the- we actually open you up no no. So usually what they do, because that is the way to diagnose it, it's so we start treatment based on clinical symptoms. So if we think it is like clinically, we think it is, we just start treatment. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then see if it works. But really, the the definitive way to diagnose it is to do the laparoscopic uh, surgery to diagnose it, to see the cyst, yeah. because ultrasound you might see assist but it's it's really hard to say because it could just be an ovarian cyst or something else right and the and the hard thing about it is doing ultrasound in the uterus they the implants could be outside the uterus so that doesn't help Mm. you right so it's also harder it's also harder for them to see the endometrial tissue outside of the uterus yes same thing chris is saying yeah so that's why that's really the only definitive way to diagnose it but most times you know, if it sounds, if it quacks like a duck, you think it's a duck. So you treat it like it's a duck. Right. So, and you just try it and see if it works. So I got a, I got two comments. So um, first of all, I'm not the only one throwing around all these medical lingo. I'm usually the one guilty of that, but this time. Dr. Chris is out here in these streets (laughs) being a whole MD. Okay. So so, so I just said it was a camera. No, no. So with the laparoscopic procedure, people do not know what that is. So it's not like a a procedure where they like open up your belly, like what you would expect for like a a C-section. It's not like that at all. It's what we call minimally invasive. So they make very small incisions, like maybe two or three in your, in your belly area. And they use a camera to go look at your uterus and the lining and whatnot to see if they can, you know, pinpoint where the the implants for the endometriosis are located. Most of the time, this procedure is a one and done deal. So you can get, get go in and get out the exact same day. I know this not because I read about it, but also because I had this done for my fibroids. So it is very, the recovery time is really not that long at all. Um, you will get a little bit of soreness around the area, but for the most part, all OBs will do this procedure and they're very adept at doing it. So that's, that's the one thing. And the type of ultrasound. So to look at your uterus and the other organs in your pelvis, uh, there's two ways to do the ultrasound. I believe the transvaginal approach is the one that's most commonly done. Mm -hmm. And before, before y'all get really upset when they come at you with a very long probe and they say, they're going to stick it up your woo-ha. That is exactly what they do. So the transvaginal probe is very long and it actually goes directly into your into your vagina to take a really good look around the um, to look at your lining, you know, see if it's thickened or not, or if there's any abnormalities with the lining in your 
in your uterus. The transabdominal ultrasound is well, the one where they stick the probe directly on your belly. So if you've been pregnant or been to someone who's you know going in for their like their ultrasounds, that's the, that's the transabdominal. But the transvaginal ultrasound is the one that actually goes up into your vagina to take a good look around to see um, kind of what's going on um, in your in your uterus. So, yeah. Thank you for that. No, but I thought I did say that. <laughs> But if I didn't, thank you for that. That was really good. Right. Right. You're giving us, you're giving us all I know. I know. Like, y'all always read me. Y'all using all this super like lingo. And I'm like, hold up. So, <laughs> so, so it's my turn to get read. It I is. Got it. It I is. got it. It's fine. I mean, it's Chris, fine. you you said you said umbilicus yeah. today. You're right. I did. You're right. I did that. Girl, I would just say belly button. That's, that's. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I did that. I'm, I, I apologize. Okay. So I'm going to. I'm going to try to leave a lot of my medical terms out there, out of this next one. So, so, okay. You mentioned fibroids. So let's talk about fibroids. Okay. So, um, uterine fibroids. So those are usually benign tissues uh, of this, of the smooth muscle in the uterus. Okay. So it's benign. It's a benign growth, like a benign tumor. Okay. So thing is a lot of women can have fibroids. Um, usually happens in young young women less than uh, younger than forty or so. They can have fibroids. It's more common, they say, in African American women than white women. But white women can also get fibroids too, right? Um, it said it's about like found in the age of fifty, about seventy percent in whites and more than eighty percent in blacks. Um, and it is the indication for at least 30 to 40% of hysterectomies, right? Mm. So risk factors are, um, black females, of course, family history. Um, also they say, if you haven't had any, any babies, also a risk factor and obesity as well. Um, so with fibroids, they also like a lot of estrogen. So they kind of, these growths can kind of just happen with high estrogen environment, right? And with fibroids, it really kind of all depends on where they grow. Um, A lot of times there are people that can have multiple fibroids and have no symptoms and they're fine, does nothing. Some can have fibroids and it's rare. It's not all the time that a fibroid, some people are very concerned that fibroids can cause infertility possibly but it really all depends on the location and basically if it's in a location that can prevent the implant where the baby can implant in the uterus that would be a problem but some women have babies and they have fibroids and it's fine right so fibroids um can so the whole thing is that you can have fibroids and not have symptoms but sometimes it does cause symptoms and what it does cause it cause irregular periods. You can have heavy periods, right? And the heavy periods can be bad with pain. A lot of times that you have the pain is when you have the extra estrogen and it kind of like the supply, the blood supply to the, to the fibroid kind of gets cut off and it can cause pain, right? And that is a lot of times why we can have pain, but we can have heavy, heavy periods so bad that you're losing so much blood that you might need to get blood transfusions, right? Um, so yes. Can I add a symptom on here? Sure. 
So especially if you're if you're a woman that has fibroids, especially if your fibroids are large, you might start feeling increased pressure in your pelvic area. Very true. And you're going to start feeling that. That's probably, especially as your fibroids get bigger. So a lot of the symptoms Chris is talking about, you'll notice these like in the beginning, like as mm-hmm. you develop a fibroid, cycles get heavier, cycles get heavier. And some women have had heavy cycles their whole life. Like some women, they don't really notice it's getting heavier because they're like this, it's always been heavy. But when you start feeling like increased, like, you know, increased pressure in your pelvis, either on the right, left, center, and it's kind of ongoing, that's really a, a warning sign that you should bring it up to your doctor mm-hmm. too. Yes. Yeah. Because you can have like really big fibroids or one or two and it's like huge and it kind of distorts your uterus. So you, it's, it's kind of like you're pregnant with mm-hmm. fibroids. <laughs> Go Literally ahead. the entire list, Dr. Chris just said, those are all my symptoms when I got these. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So let me talk about the pressure thing. Cause that is probably, to me, that was probably the most annoying symptom. Um, my fibroids actually got to the size of a second trimester uterus. Um, and they were actually causing so much pressure on my bladder. I was really going to the bathroom like every multiple times, every hour. And, you know, for me, I like to take long walks and I can't, I can't take long walks without having to like stop to go pee, um, like every couple of minutes. And I'm like, God damn, this is so annoying. Um, and then also you can actually, if your fibroids do get to the point, they can actually be so large that you can actually feel them. So if you actually feel your, your, um, lower abdomen, um, area, you can actually feel like the distortion in your uterus. And that's at that point, you, you've already should have seen a doctor to get the ultrasound and be like, all right, you know, this is what's going on. But, you know, they can actually get to be that big. And that what that that symptom that we're talking about when it's pressing on your uterus or um, it can also press on your rectum. Uh, that's what we call mass effect symptoms. So the uterus, the fibroids actually get so large that they distort the anatomy of your uterus and they cause mass effect symptoms on the surrounding structures in your pelvic area, which would be your bladder and your and your your colon, essentially. Um, so at that point, you definitely need to get these checked out. And yeah, like you were saying, it could cause some constipation. And just because of all the pressure and just where it is, it can cause all these symptoms. So pretty much our treatment is the same as what we kind of do for endometriosis in a sense, right? So what we're trying to do is trying to decrease, like try to get these hormones under control so that, so that we can prevent the fibers from getting bigger to help relieve some of the symptoms and also with the bleeding too. Right. So first line treatment, a lot of times that we're going to try, we're going to try your birth controls, right? Birth control methods to try to do that. A lot of times we'll try the depot shot, uh, that, that shot, um, has more progesterone in it. And it's every three months we do that. Um, if you have heavy breathing, depending after you get your ultrasound, they could try to do an IUD can be done to help with the heavy periods, but you got to do the ultrasound first and make sure because depending on where the fibroid is, it could um, be hard to put your IUD in there to help with that. Um, and yeah, so we basically try to decrease the estrogen amount environment to try to help with these symptoms. Now, a lot of it too is sometimes, so what happens when that doesn't work, right? So there are other types of treatments that they can do, but it kind of really all depends on how old you are. Do you want to still have kids? 
that kind of helps with the where to go. So the definitive treatment, right? If we do a hysterectomy, right, then kind of done. Like you don't have the fibroid issue is not a problem because we removed the uterus, right? But if you still want to have kids, it's kind of not where you want to go, right? So, um, and a lot of times uh, we try other things first before we go there, right? Because it is not considered a first line treatment. It's like third or fourth. You got to prove that you have failed some stuff before you go to hysterectomy. And the thing is too, it's also a surgery. So it's not like a benign thing. Like you can have complications from a hysterectomy. So we really want to try everything we can before we get there, right? Um, one other treatment that uh, can be done is called a myomectomy. So basically what that is, is that they do like Dr. Noto to explain a laparoscopic procedure when they go in the camera and then they go into and they go in the in the uterus and they literally just try to take those fibroids that were growing in the uterus in those locations, right? And just kind of take them out. Still you could still um, have babies even though you have that. You do that myomectomy. There's another procedure that can be done. It's called a uterine artery embolization. So what that means is it's also kind of like, right, they go in and with a um, little camera and a wire, they go in and they try to cut off part of the the uterine artery that supplies your uterus. So a part of the artery, like a branch of it, they cut off the, so just cut off the supply to the fibroid. So it can just kind of degenerate, right? So you don't have the issue. But the problem with that is that it could affect your fertility, right? You might not be able to have kids with that and they don't re necessarily recommend that. They'll have complications if you did have kids, right? So um, so that's why I said it kind of depends on what your goals are. And you can also have an open procedure, which means if your fibroids are way too numerous or they're way too big, you actually have an open procedure, which is, means that you would end up with a C-section scar. Mm -hmm. And they do the open procedure to get a really good look at the entire uterus, and then they operate on everything that they need to, and then they close it back up. Usually that is an option that you will do in case your fibroids are too complex for the laparoscopic procedure that Chris and Nono have been describing to you, where they make the small little hole and look with a small little camera. And then with that, there's another laparoscopic procedure that's kind of come on the scene like more within the past decade or so called Excessa. So they actually, well, they still using the laparoscopic technique. They actually use a tool to actually burn off the fibroid from the surface of your uterus. And the recovery time is less than a myomectomy. So usually like five days or so. Um, and you know, typically the results are, you start seeing results usually within a couple of weeks after you're done with the procedure. The only issue is that it's fairly new. So there's not that many providers in the U.S. that do it. But last time I checked, there were providers in like most of the major cities. Um, so if you actually just go to their website and if that's something that you were actually considering or bring it up with your PCP or your OB, they can refer you to the proper party that can do that for you. One thing that I want to say is that really, really important here that I think Chris may be about to mention or maybe not. I'll just throw it in here. Mm -hmm. I think that it's really important that you build a really good relationship with your gynae while you're talking about your fibroids and the choices of what you want to do going forward. Because these lists of things that Chris are telling you are these treatment options. Each one of these treatment options are going to change depending on where your fibroids are, 
how many of them you have and how big they are. So you need to actually have a guide that you trust that actually has your same goals for fertility in mind, which is what Chris has been emphasizing. Because if you know that you don't want to have any kids and you're just like, all right, they're here to take them out. Or if you're like, hey, I really do want to have a vaginal delivery. I want to try to be able to push a baby out. They might say, hey, fun fact, if we really get rid of all these fibroids, you can't have a vaginal delivery. So these are things that you really need to be one with your with your gynae on before and after you have any type of intervention and any type of surgery because they all have risk and they have different benefits. That's all. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And then the day it's just coming up with a plan and knowing what plan works for you. Pretty much all I kind of wanted to talk about. I don't think I really have anything. You else. did great. Anything anybody else wanted to add. But um, I just thought that it was an important topic to talk about because I just think that it's something that, um, you know, we just don't talk about it enough, right? And I just feel that um, especially where women are having these chronic pains and it's it's hard because they come into the doctor and they're frustrated and they're like, I have pain. And it's like, where's your pain? I got pain all over. And it's kind of like, well, that's not helpful for us, right? And I understand your frustration, right? Because you keep coming and you have the same thing and it's kind of like nothing's getting done, but, you know, it's a process. And it's kind of like, I know you're in pain, but it's kind of like if you can try to be patient and we can work together and we can talk to really get to the bottom to figure out what's going on. Well, Chris, I think you picked a wonderful topic. I thought that it was very enlightening. It's good stuff. Very good. Thank you, guys. Random. Did we ever do an episode on PCOS? We did, right? Didn't we touch on that in another episode? We touched on it, but I don't think we did an episode yeah. on it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll pin that for a future episode. We can talk about right. ovarian cysts in that episode too. So PCOS, yeah. ovarian cysts, all that, mm. and another episode down the line where we want to exclude the men again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first question I have is: Hello, chocolate MDs. I'm finally motivated yeah. enough with my health to get my health back in order. I have multiple friends that have a natural path, and I was wondering if I should also get a natural path. I have been wanting to explore natural options overall. What are your thoughts on this versus Western medicine with a typical PCP? Thanks. You are asking a bunch of MDs. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's about not going. So, okay. Um, I I have a lot of input on this. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm in California and I see this a lot. So crazy. Yeah. You got thoughts. You can go first. <laughs> well, well, the thought for me is that I think, I think it really all depends on what's going on. I think Western medicine does have good medicines that can treat things that are important, but I do think that maybe some supplements or vitamins, other things could help, but I, I'm more of a try to blend it a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not counting out Western medicine. Like, I feel like we have lots of medicines and lots of things that are medications that are work, that are effective, that we know we've studied. Um, so I think it. I think it's a really hard, it's kind of hard. So, I mean, real talk, Western medicine has been proven time and time again to be the standard of care for various illnesses throughout our population. So for just broadly, cancer is is one of them. So I I don't believe that any amount of herbs or you know the the supplements that a natural path will give you are a substitute for 
chemotherapy, radiation therapy, um, resection via surgery like that, you cannot replace those methods if you have a type of cancer that can be actually can be cured by Western medicine. Um, and when it gets to a certain point where you want to, you know, stay within remission of that, that cancer, you know, again, like a lot of our, a lot of the medicines that we, that we implement or give to you are based off multiple years and multiple peer reviewed evidence-based research studies that are like hundreds of thousands of people large. I can't say for sure that natural paths have that same type of um, structure within their within their um, their network. In addition, the training for to be a naturopath varies very widely throughout the spectrum of diff- different naturopath schools within the U.S. and Canada is another spot. So I think, in my opinion, I would say definitely get your PCP. Um, but if you want to supplement or get a second opinion. And also bring those, uh, whatever the naturopath is recommending to you, to your PCP, then we can actually have a a good conversation about what treatments will be beneficial or an adjunct to the treatments that we're giving you as your primary care doctor. Go ahead, Amy Jo. I feel like you've been cut off. Well, you know, I think, so in this case, I think the listener, you know, is is asking, uh, you know, a question about entertaining the idea that you use a naturopath. It sounds like in place of the PCP versus along with the PCP. Either way, um, it, it at least sounds like they're trying to, if they're going to use, you know, lifestyle changes, supplementations, modifications, they're at least trying to give them somebody in place that'll hold them accountable to whatever changes they are. I think the frustration for me sometimes in in my office is that I will have people who've come in to say, you know, I've read the side effects. I've read all these things about these medications. And I just decided that I did not want to subject my body through that. But that action lacks the follow-up action to be consistent in the pursuit of your natural remedies to lower your blood pressure or your diabetes or anything like that. So I don't find the same passion on the back end. And so I, you know, I just don't see enough people have a sustained effort in lifestyle changes or Eastern medicine or, or anything like that. Like I don't see the people that have it for the long haul to really tell people like, yeah, skip your PCP. Like, no, I still want you to see your PCP. No. um, Yeah. So, I mean, with that kind of in that same vein are, so I think a lot of people when they come in to see their primary care doctor, they just expect to get like a buttload of medications and they're just going to say, Hey, take all these come see me in like three months. But that is not that is not how we operate. Our ultimate goal is to keep you off medications if you don't need them. But at some point, if your disease process gets to the point where we cannot, we need to see a change more quickly than what, um, you know, natural remedies or natural processes can do, you know, because if any, if we delay that treatment any longer, then that can also have detrimental effects on your body. Then we are going to recommend those treatments to get your body back at baseline. And then at some point we can talk about, okay, we can take you off this medication or, you know, like your cholesterol is doing great. You know, we can, you know, decrease your statin or your diabetes, your sugars are looking awesome. You know, even following the plant-based diet that we've talked about. All right, then mm. we can start titrating down your metformin or, you know, I've seen multiple people come off insulin altogether just because they've done the lifestyle changes that we recommended and they come off this 
this medication, which is so completely doable. But I think the mindset in a lot of people is that, you know, we go to the doctor, we're getting paid by big pharma to give you all these medications. Bruh, I'm not getting paid extra by big pharma. I can tell, I can tell you that right now. And none of us know we're not, we're not into that. So ideally at the end of the day, we're, we're looking out for you and we're going to do the methods that we have been trained to do and that we have researched to get you back to, you know, at the minimal medications that we need to keep you healthy and keep you going. So I come from the land of naturopaths. There are a bajillion of them in California. Almost everybody has naturopath. It's like the the I think it's the I think it's the hippie vibes out here, you know. They just they it's the hippie vibes. They want the they're all vegetarian and vegan. They want the herbs, uh as little meds as possible, but still want to live forever and hanging out the hot springs, listen to my naturopath. I'm gonna start off with um on my soapbox a little bit. You wanna know an easy way to piss me off? An easy way to piss me off, Dr. Sunshine, is if you come into my office and I have never seen you before and you hand me a piece of paper and you say, these are all the labs that my naturopath wants to draw. And then you pull out another sheet of paper and you say, this is the medication that my naturopath wants you to prescribe. That is probably the easiest way to to drive me up a wall. No, I've never met you before. Your chart is blank. Like your chart is blank. Like you don't even go here. Like mean girls. Do you even go here? Like, (laughs) but but that's like, that's not even right. Like it's like you're you're doing someone else's job. But listen, here's it. And here's, I say this to say this. Okay. So I'm gonna step off my soapbox for a little bit. I don't have anything against naturopaths. You know, you guys can do your thing. I get that. If you are a person who really feels like you want to go the naturopath route, there are doctors who, you know, have fellowships in like integrative medicine and naturopathic medicine and they've done, yeah, and they've done like fellowships and stuff. And you can actually see a naturopath who's also a doctor who can write you the prescription for this really rare type of thyroid medication that you're asking me for, this armor, thyroid, whatever, you know, specialized yeah, yeah. like to be on. You know, and they can also do your labs and they can prescribe things and they can do all of the things. Because here's the problem. If you see a naturopath for everything and that naturopath can't prescribe or order labs or do anything, then you're basically coming in to see me, the doctor, because you need me to do the work that your naturopath can't do. And you haven't seen me for any of these conditions and you don't want to see me for any of these conditions. So here is my advice. If you're going to go the naturopath route, find a doctor or someone with prescribing privileges who can actually do the full workup and everything that you need. And if that's the route that you choose, then that is okay. Now, if you have a PCP and you want to see a naturopath on the side, I think that's cool too. You know what I mean? But you can't be double dipping and not really following all the way with either person. That's that's how people get frustrated. You know why? Because your naturopath isn't going to send me a progress note and tell me what the hell y'all been talking about. You just popped up in my office with this list of things you want me to order. And I'm like, yeah, nah, why, this isn't indicated. Why are we ordering this really rare type of, I don't know, genetic, dif- I, I don't know. Why are we ordering this? Yeah, <laughs> right. Very true. Very true. What but are we getting for? And then they'll be like, know. well, I'll, I'll pay for it out of pocket. That's not the problem. Like, the, the problem right, is, is that it looks like me, the MD, am ordering things that are unnecessary. And so now I look like that kind of doctor. And I'm just not invested in ordering a bunch of labs that are not necessary. If your naturopath has the um, the knowledge to 
run and read the labs, then they also going to have to set it up so that they can run and read their labs. Like they're going to have to order them. You have to get them from lab course, you know, something like, you know, whatever standalone facility and they're going to have to let them read them. But we both can't read them. And I tell people all the time, we, we both can't be reading them and then trying to prescribe you medicines because even if it's herbs and supplements, stuff like that, they can't interact, interfere with any medicine that we're going to put you on. They definitely exactly. can. They definitely can. Exactly. We just don't That's- know about, we just don't know enough about them. It's not like, you know, it, you, it's, it's not like what the your medications that are FDA regulated, we've done studies, we know the dosing and stuff like that, you know? And honestly, like integrative medicine is something I've always wanted to do. I am going to do a fellowship at some point with it because I'm very interested in that, but I'm interested in it because I do, I, I, it's, I do want to do the integration. I do think that it is, if you eat right, do certain, certain, certain things that you do can help prevent certain disease. And I want to use it in the sense that um, we're going to, I I definitely don't necessarily like to put people on medication. If I can avoid putting you on medication, I will do that, you know? But the thing is a lot of times it's like, okay, it's for instance, for acid reflux, right? You don't necessarily have to be on medication for acid reflux, depending on how bad it is. Right. But mm-hmm. if you change your behaviors, different, different things that you don't eat, it might not be so bad and you might not have to be on it. Right. So mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I like that whole thinking that you can do other things or eat certain things to prevent uh, certain um, diseases or can help. And I think that it is a good thing to integrate with Western medicine, that I do understand that sometimes you do need a pill and that's what you need to be on. Yep. You know, I agree. I completely agree. I hope that answers the listeners question. <laughs> maybe not <laughs> maybe not but listen find you a naturopath that can do their own workup and order their right. own lab and do their own thing because we're not trying to do like the back end of the of the job like no are you seeing me or nah right, right. make up your mind <laughs> i'm not your i'm not i'm not your side chick right i'm not your i'm, right. I'm, not, your, I'm not your provider side chick right. are you seeing me or no Right. Either right. way, no, no. Can you tell the listeners where they can find us at? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our handle is at the Chocolate MDS. And please check out our website at www.thechocolatemds.com where we'll post updates with the episodes that are coming out, in addition to some fun factoids about medicine in general. Um, in addition, please keep t- uh, continue to keep sending us questions. Uh, you can do that on any one of our um, uh, social media platforms, or you can send it to our Gmail, or you can send it to our question uh, box on our website. Uh, and that is about it. Ladies and gentlemen, we bid you farewell. It's been real, and we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Bye, guys. Bye.